Well, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. So good to have you here at Cornerstone. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, my. At my house, my son actually said this this morning. He said, Dad, I just want to fast forward to tomorrow because tomorrow on Christmas Day, he's just excited to have breakfast with his dad, for me to read him the Bible, the Christmas story. He just wants to, maybe it has something to do with the presents. There's so much anticipation. He just is ready to explode. And so I'm ready to be dad of the year. I think I'm giving him a gift. All the kids that they are just so excited about. They've been playing, you know, Super Smash Bros on their friends' gaming systems. And so they've been really excited about that. So I'm going to put it up on the screen so you guys can guess with me. You're never going to guess what it is, right? Try and guess. what? It, no, try and guess. It's important. You're never going to guess it. It's a Nintendo. It's a Nintendo. It's a Nintendo sweater. You're right. They're going to love it because they love their friends' video games. Oh, they're just going to be so happy. It's a Christmas miracle. Dad of the year I am right now. I know my kids, what they want. Even in the summer, they're going to wear that. Listen, the original Christmas story had a lot of anticipation as well. There was a nation waiting for their Messiah for hundreds of years, needing him to come and waiting. And there's a woman that is waiting to give birth. And as we look at this Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we see all the beauty of what life can be when God is with us. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This portion of the Christmas story reminds us that, that you can trust the providence of God in your life. No matter how crazy things are, you can trust that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he's authority all over, over heaven and earth. And when you look at your life particularly, you might not feel that way. I mean, I don't know how you'd answer the question looking at your life saying, who's in charge? Sometimes you look around at all the rules and you think, man, the government thinks they're in charge of me. Or you're at work and, and your boss is just always telling you what to do. And you think, he really thinks that he's in control here and he's in charge. Sometimes in my home, I'm, I'm bending down like this saying, kids, I'm in charge. Kids, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And I don't know why they don't get that, it seems like. But the worst people of all that think they're in charge will say it all together it's the HOA. My, what is wrong with them? Has anyone ever heard a good story about the HOA? If my neighbor wants to put a pinstripe, a racing stripe on the side of their house or, or put leopard spots on their house, who am I to judge and who are they to stifle that creativity? But the greatest illusion is when we think that we are in charge. And we think, I'm really in charge of my destiny. I control what this future looks like. In verse 1 that we just read, it says, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Right? He, he was in charge of the whole Roman Empire. And he said, I want more taxes. I want to know how many people there are. And so everyone's got to go to their hometown and register for a census so I can find out how much I can get from taxes. And verse 1 says, everybody went. So he really was in charge. This affected everybody, even Mary and Joseph. What an inconvenience for them going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a 90-mile journey. 
It would take four to five days to make that trip, and she was expecting a child. And so what a horrible inconvenience she would have to go through. And then it seems like Jesus would be born by accident in Bethlehem, except nobody really knew except for God that this wasn't an accident that it was according to how God was scripting things out because there's an ancient prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that prophesied the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so in all the chaos and inconvenience and everyone's upset with Caesar, God is aligning all the pieces exactly where they need to be to show that he is in control of all of this. I wonder sometimes how God is using inconvenience difficulty and pain in our lives to bring about something good. Because He loves us, He allows these things to happen. What is God doing? Now, we still have to plan, even though God is in control. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so, we make our plans, and then the Lord changes our plans at times. So, how should we act knowing that God is in control? Well, we can trust God and then experience peace in the middle of all the chaos and change. We can believe Romans 8.28 that says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So, I mean, just, just last week, six days ago, right from here, I told the whole church that for two months, my family and I, we've been planning to go on a cross-country road trip. I'll put a map on the screen to show you where our plans were taking us. We were going to fly from LAX all the way to Nashville. You'll see the map in a second here. It's, you, can't, you can't envision it. It's just, a, you blow your mind where it is. It, all the way to Nashville. Then we're gonna rent an SUV and we're gonna drive and zigzag all the way back to Murrieta. And you're like, why in the world would you, are you being punished? Is there a census? Is that why you have to do this? No, we, we have a goal of visiting all 50 states and this was gonna be a part of it. But have you seen the news <laughs> about what's happening in every state besides California? Have you seen some of the, the recent headlines? Blockbuster snowstorm, Arctic blast, a snow bomb cyclone, one of them says. Remember a few years ago, there was a polar vortex. They're running out of really cool, scary ways to tell us not to travel around the holidays. And we realized after driving in the car for five hours a day, when we get out to stretch, we're going to want to get right back in the car because it'll be so cold. And so even though we planned for two months, we had to cancel that trip. We were not in control at all. And I think it was in a good decision. We're going to maybe do the opposite of being frozen, and we're going to head down to Mexico and avoid all that weather entirely. And I think that is a good decision for our family. But, but we need to trust the providence of God in our lives. And as we continue the story, we see what happened with Mary and Joseph. It says in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This portion of the story reminds us and challenges us really that we should dream about the potential of God in our life. What would change in our life if we embraced the good news, had a relationship with Jesus, and really tried to be close to him and to follow his commands? What would life look like? This, this story does not seem like a great setup for a lot of potential. What would a poor boy born in a manger in a small town really accomplish in life? Now, Mary and Joseph were told 
who Jesus was going to be, but they had no idea about what all the potential was that that manger held that night. The truth is that manger held the peace by which Jesus would calm the storms in the gospel stories, that it held the fish and the bread where Jesus would feed the 5,000, that it held the new eyes that would be given to the blind man so he could see, that it held the new legs that would be given to the the lame man so he could walk after all those years. It, It held the living water that was given to the woman at the well and the love and the forgiveness that was extended to sinners and outcasts where Jesus would even want to dine with them. And it held the cross that destroyed sin and death and the power of resurrection that gives us new life. That's just what we see in the Bible. But we are to ask God what he wants to do in our lives. And so that manger actually held all the potential of what God will do in each of our lives. And so the question is, What does God want to do in your life if you were to yield to him and say, all right, you really are king. I'm going to do things your way instead of my way. I think, well, what does God want? I don't know. Is he going to fix this broken relationship that causes so much pain? Is he going to give me strength to forgive that person that really hurt me? Is he going to give me freedom over sin and addiction that I've been asking him for for years? And we, we think, well, that's impossible because I've already tried But when you add God to any equation, it becomes possible. God is asking us to have this freedom over sin, fixed relationships. He's asking us to forgive others, and so he's going to empower us to do that. And it could be that your mess, your mistakes, like the manger for Jesus, is your humble origin story that one day you will look back on and say, I can't believe the Lord took me from this to over here. The transformation will blow our minds when we realize this is where I was, stuck in sin, hurt by all the pain in the world, just stressed out completely. And God brought me over here as I set him up as king in my life. And so we're encouraged to dream about all the potential of God in our life and big dreams. I mean, Powerball-sized dreams. Oh, I'm going there. You guys know what happened in November when all of a sudden we all started thinking crazy? When there was like a $3 billion or so winning and people that never even played the lottery before were like, well... I'm going to play just this time. And you have this crazy thought. I have a feeling I'm going to win. I think God wants me to win because I'm going to be the most generous winner of all time. What is two billion divided by all my friends and family? And of course, the biggest portion being given to the church, right? Like what, what is that actually going to add up to? And we start thinking crazy thoughts. The odds are very low. One in 292 million that you win that. But the odds of of dreaming about the potential of what God wants to do in your life, of what he could do, those are a lot higher because God is asking us to live according to his ways. And so when we dream about that, that can be a reality that we have. The slogan they have is, believe in something bigger. I feel like God should trademark that. That should be copyrighted by God. I mean, there's no reason that should be a lottery one to kind of get people to give more money. God is the one who can say, believe in something bigger. I can save you from this mess, from your mistakes. Your life plus me is going to be an amazing thing. There's something about this time of year where randomly toy catalogs just start showing up in the mail. We have our kids go and get the mail and sometimes they'll leave the mailbox open with all the bills and everything in it and they just come back with a toy catalog and we got to go out and get the keys out of the mailbox and they sit on the couch. I mean, even Amazon, like the ultimate digital company, will send a, a mail paper toy catalog to us and when they're on the couch flipping through it, this is all I ever hear. Add it to my wish list. Oh, this is a, add it to my wish list. 
Please, oh, this is so cool. Add it to my, it's like three days before Christmas. Add it to my wish list. And it gives a child hope to say that because they think maybe, just maybe, one of my aunts and uncles or my grandparents will just get me everything on my wish list. Nobody could afford a child's wish list, but it gives them hope to add it to that. We're encouraged because of the promises of God to look at them and say, God, what do you want to do with my life? What does your word say about how I should be living? And add it to our prayer list. And we can have hope that God is going to give us the strength to live that out because he's asking us to do these things. And so dream about the potential of God in your life. And now there's other people in this story besides Mary and Joseph. Verse 8 shows us the shepherds in the field. It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We see these shepherds here and this part of the story really reminds us that we can ask for the power of God in our life. The Christmas story involves simple shepherds that are doing a, a monotonous, really repetitive job. They're being faithful, but it just same thing all the time until God bursts into the scene and promises them something amazing. Imagine suddenly hearing this truth that God has a message for you so powerful that it will change darkness to light, boredom to joy, and anxiety to peace. That's what the shepherds heard. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. God spoke to them, and God continues to speak to us through his word if we want to listen to him. And the power behind this message is one where there's darkness to light. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. If you thought those lasers were, were you know, really bright, imagine the glory of the Lord. Uh, maybe the lasers were brighter than the glory of the Lord. Those were really cool lasers. But this, I mean, it was impressive what happened. Darkness to light. And then in verse 10, the good news caused great joy. Right, This normal night became anything but normal as the angels told them the good news that their Messiah was finally here and that he would give them peace, that they didn't have to continue on in their, in their stress and their frustration, but they could receive the peace of God. God's power can transform us like that. We, we dream about what a life with God would be like, but God can do a work today in our lives. And life without the power of God is exhausting. When you go through life trying to do things in your own strength, trying to be a better person in your own strength, trying to make better decisions, you just feel weak and exhausted. It was last Christmas that uh, Gideon's grandparents bought him a hoverboard. And uh, no, I've never tried it because I've seen those social media videos of parents trying hoverboards and they all, I've never seen one end well. And so I don't want to be on one of those, but, but Gideon zips around the house and it's pretty cool, but it's annoying. I don't know why it does this, but when you turn it on, it goes, power on, power on. Imagine if all of your appliances did that. Like, oh, it's to the microwave. Power on, dishwasher, power on. Like, Shut up. It's just annoying. And when he turns it off, there's nothing quiet about turning it off. We're like, hey, it's a little loud. Turn it off. Power off, power off. We're like, oh. But the worst is as he's on it for too long, it will say, low battery, low battery, low battery. And we're like, Gideon, turn he can't hear it, obviously. Turn it off. 
Turn it off. You're driving us nuts. We can't hear the TV. Turn it off. Well, a few weeks ago, I got a phone call. When I picked it up, I heard screaming in the background. I said, what's going on? And Shan's like, we're on our way to the hospital. I was like, what, what happened? She said Gideon was buzzing around on his hoverboard and it started saying, low battery, low battery. And he just thought, eh, nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens. It's fine. And then it just locked up, turned off, and he went flying. And he hit the wall and lands all weird. And she thought he broke his arm. So I meet them at the hospital. Thankfully, it wasn't a broken arm. But Gideon learned a lesson. When the warning signs of low battery are being screamed at you, you need to rest and recharge. You need to plug it in and fix that problem. And that's what it's like when we go through life without the power of God. Right? There's warning signs. We're frustrated at people. We're crispy. You know, we have a short temper with others. We never feel like there's enough time in the day. And it's God saying, rest with me. Relax with me. Take your time with me. If that's how you feel is, is weak and that you need to recharge, that's a good place to be. Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, speaking to Paul the apostle, he said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He's not embarrassed by our weakness. He wants us to admit it and say, I need help. I need God to help me bad. And so we have to ask God for help. Power comes through a relationship with Jesus, specifically through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, but we can have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. But we have to humble ourselves and say, I need help. I, I need the Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own so that God can help us. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 11. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. And then he gives an illustration with fathers, and he says, which of you fathers, if your child said, uh, Dad, can I have a fish? I'm hungry. I want a fish, would give them a snake, like that kind of a prank. He's like, oh, that'd be horrible. Why would you scare a kid like that and let the, put a dangerous situation around them? Or if your kid says, oh, can I have an egg? I'm really hungry. Would you give him a scorpion? It's supposed to be a shocking scenario Jesus is talking about. He's like, if you, as fathers who compared to God are evil, wouldn't do that and you would only give good gifts to your kids, you're going to get somewhere in the range of their Christmas wish list, right? Even if you can't do all of that, you're going to try something from that. Jesus is saying, if you're going to do that, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? But it's a humbling thing to say, I can't do this on my own and ask for help. Well, the final part of this Christmas story shows us the reaction of the shepherds. It's verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This final portion of the scriptures we're reading is a reminder that we should run after God's purpose for us in our lives. That we don't get to determine what it is we do, but God has a purpose for us. The shepherds really had just two choices. They could continue on as normal or they could believe and respond. But they couldn't believe and then continue on as normal. 
The, the news is too big that God loves us and wants a relationship with us. That's too big of news for us to say, oh yeah, I hear that, I believe it, but nothing's gonna change in my life. No, there needs to be huge change in our life. And the Christmas story illustrates the purpose of God and we see it through the shepherds. Their response in verse 15 was, let's go to Bethlehem and see. And they hurried off. They believed and they responded so quickly it's described as hurrying. They ran after God's purpose. And they were rewarded. Verse 16, they found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And it wasn't just any cute baby. For some, that's reward enough. You're like, oh, baby, I want to hold the baby. But, but it was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They saw their personal Savior. And living for the wrong purpose is frustrating because we were made for a purpose, for a reason, to have a relationship with God and to give Him glory by serving Him. And the shepherds began to do this. They continued to be shepherds, but now they were shepherd witnesses. They were shepherds that whenever they saw anyone, they said, you've got to hear what happened to us. An angel spoke to us. The Messiah is here. And they told people the good news while they continued to do their day job. And verse 17 says, all who heard it were amazed. And Christmas is amazing. I mean, there's just something special about this time of year. You've got, the, you've got the beautiful decorations. You've got the tree, the ornaments. You've got the unique food. My wife made a Yule log for the first time. She rolled it all up, and we're going to cut it up and destroy it tomorrow. But it looks, looks good. It looks amazing. There's so much that is amazing about Christmas. But, and the original Christmas story beats all of that. that. That the God who made this world and made us saw us in misery, saw us in our pain, saw our sin being something that we couldn't overcome and that we would be judged for and that he would say, I'm coming for you. I'm going to rescue you, right? That Jesus would come down to earth and put on humanity so we could understand who God is and then grow up to die on the cross for our sins and be raised from the dead so we could finally have a relationship with God that was right, that we could have peace with God Christmas is about God pursuing us. It's the truth that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he's coming again for his church in the future. And we don't know when that will be, but just like he came that first time to give us the possibility of a relationship with God, if we would confess our sins, repent of them, and choose to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior, he's coming again to fix this mess that was still left. He's coming again to wipe away every tear in our eyes, to get rid of, of pain and suffering and all the destruction that sin causes. That won't be our eternal future. That will be removed from us. He's coming back for his church again. Christmas is about the pursuit of God after us. And so as we close this service with a, a time of candle lighting, it's a reminder of our purpose that we aren't just to receive salvation ourselves, but to reach others who are kind of wandering around in darkness saying, oh, life's not about God. It's about consumerism and comfort and convenience. And these. No, you're, you're confused. It's about having a relationship with God that he is with you in the tough times. He is your rescuer. So let me pray for us before we have that time. Father, Lord, we need your help. We need your power. When we forget about you and try and do things on our own, it's a mess. But Lord, to be revived in our purpose, to remember that our God loves us so much he would come to us and not just come and teach us and be an example, but come and take our sins away from us, to be punished on the cross where we deserved punishment, but we don't have to fear that anymore. 
Lord, every person in this room should realize that they are loved passionately by God, that there's nothing we can do that is so bad that God will not continue to pursue us, that there's no line that we can cross that is too far where God won't chase after us, but you have already proved your love for us by sending your son, and Christmas is where we celebrate that truth. And so remind us of our purpose to share that truth with others and be that light to the world that you've caused us to be. In Jesus' name.